Children's Church, you may be dismissed. Everybody give Marty a, a hand there yeah. for stepping up to the plate. Go Marty. Yeah. <laughs> if you would, turn that projector off. That white remote back there. Alright, that sounds good. That's, that's my motto. That's my motto when it's something I don't understand or I don't want to do. I'm just going to let faith do that. <laughs> Alright, um, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, round about verse 12. Uh, before we get there, um, I just want to make a confession. <laughs> and I know that's like everybody's heart sinks when the pastor gets up in front of the church and says, I just want to make a confession. It's not that kind of confession, guys. Not that kind of confession. No, um, I actually want to make a confession that we're going to begin a series um, starting today. So today will be like the introduction message, the overview of the series before we dive in uh, next Sunday. But uh, my confession is, is that the series that I feel like God is leading me to do, I don't want to do it, if that makes sense. I, um, it's just, it, it's going to cover some difficult subjects, some subjects that I don't find joy in talking about or preaching about. Um, but you know, it's not always about what we want. In fact, it's never about what we want. It's just sometimes we have the pleasure of what we want lines up with what God wants, and that's a glorious time. But when it is a choice between what we want and what we know God wants, then we are instructed and mandated to always choose what He wants, not what we want. And so I am being submissive, and I'm going to follow His leading and preach this series. Um, the series isn't going to have a fancy title. It's not going to be something beautifully poetic. It's just going to be to the point. Um, and so if any time over the course of the next four to five weeks, you're upset with me, don't be upset with me. Be upset with God because it's His Word that I'm sharing with you. So I just wanted to make that confession known before we get into this. So before we start, I want to kind of go to the Lord in prayer because like I said, some of these are going to be difficult topics to cover but we need to have them covered. We need to be made aware of these. So I'm going to ask that the Lord give me strength and let me preach the Word clearly and concisely. And let me preach the Word, not my opinion, not what I think that you might like to hear, not what I would like to say, but the Word as it is entirely in truth. And finally, uh, pray for yourself. Because sometimes when something comes across that we don't like, it sometimes falls on deaf ears. Um, and our heart becomes hardened to the Word because it's not something that we want to hear. So pray for your heart that it be soft and receptive, and pray for your ears that they be open to receive the Word of God, and that it be good ground, that the seed of the Word goes into good grounds so that it might bear a harvest and fruit in your life. Amen? So if you would, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, You know how I feel about doing this series. I have talked to You several times about not wanting to do this, but knowing without a shadow of a doubt it's something that I have to do, that I'm being led to do. So God, with that being said, I just ask that this be your words and not mine, that this be your message and not mine, and that it come across in a way to where people know that I'm not beating up on them, that I'm not addressing things because they're things that I see, but rather I'm addressing things because they're being given to me through the Word of God, and that it is the Word of God not my word, not man's word, but the divinely inspired word given to man by the Spirit. So Lord Jesus, let this word come across, let it be received, 
and let it bear fruit in each of our lives, including mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Him, Jesus, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> it's funny because I'm praying for strength in the very first verse. I thank Him who has given me strength. He's already given me what I'm asking for. He's given me strength. Because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy, praise God for that, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's so good. I want to read that again. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Remember that verse. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. And here's the verse, or the section, the phrase that we're going to be highlighting on that's going to be the foundation of our series. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And so the series is going to be, Don't Be a Shipwreck. Don't be a shipwreck. So we're looking at that, and it says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. This is a pronoun, therefore it's in the place of something else. So what we're looking at is what is meant by this? What is the object? And I'm not a grammar person, but I believe it's the antecedent of what this stands for. Is that correct, my English people? This sits in the place as a pronoun for a specific noun. So we're trying to figure out what it is that they're rejecting that makes them a shipwreck. Does that make sense? By rejecting something, they're making their faith a shipwreck. So we're looking at what is it that they're rejecting that would make them a shipwreck. Does that make sense? We want to know what it is if we reject it, it'll be a shipwreck. Now there's two possibilities to this. And the first is in verse 15. And it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And the saying is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Obviously, if you reject that, your faith is going to be a shipwreck because that saying right there is the foundation of all of our faith. That's the first possibility. If we reject the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, then obviously we have no faith or the faith that may begin in us is going to be a shipwreck because there's no foundation. 
because we went over this in our Emmaus series, we went over this in our John 3.16 series, we went over this several different times, that Christ Jesus and the mission that He had coming into the world to save sinners is the very foundation of our faith. That's the very foundation of Christianity. Remember I said this time and time again, the thing that I love about the Alliance is that we don't preach so much doctrine, although doctrine's important, and we hold fast to doctrine, that's not our focus. Our focus is the person Christ Jesus. Our focus is Jesus. Christianity is Christ Jesus plus or minus nothing. Remember that? We went over that several different times. Christianity is about Christ. That's the difference between Christianity and every other belief system, every other worldview, is Christianity is centered on one person. If you look at any other religion, there are major figures that play a part in that religion, and some of those figures even have the religion or the belief system named after them, but none of them rest entirely on the figure themselves. Muhammad is about Allah. So when we look at Islam, it's not about Muhammad, who's a central key figure in Islam. It's about Allah. Does that make sense? It's about their God. It's not about the person. And even looking at Confucianism and all of these other different worldviews, they're not about a central person. Christianity is different because it's about a person. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. And through Jesus, we see God because He is the full manifestation and the revelation of God. Does that make sense? So when we're looking at this, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. So when it says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that's the foundation of our faith. So that could be what he's saying when he says by rejecting this, they've made their faith a shipwreck. But that's just the first possibility. I think the second possibility is much more likely because it's intertwined with the first possibility. It includes it, but it doesn't stop there. Beginning of verse 18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. I want to entertain the idea that maybe what he's talking about rejecting is in the sentence prior when he says by rejecting this by rejecting holding faith and a good conscience see a lot of christians today we want to hold faith quote unquote but we reject the good conscience we want a facade or a face value faith but the good conscience isn't there and when i say conscience in this context i'm not talking about jiminy cricket I'm talking about conscience and the fact that that inner voice, that conviction of the Spirit that should be within you, that can tell you and affirm that you're living your life in a submissive manner to the will of God. Whether that be the law, whether that be the grace that's in Christ Jesus, you're living your life submitted daily to the will of God and what the Word says. So you have the standard of the will of God and how close you are to meeting that standard is your conscience. If you're hitting that standard, you know, it says don't steal. Well, I don't steal. So your conscience is good in that sense. You have a good conscience about the fact that you don't steal. But the word says do not commit adultery and you go and you commit adultery, then your conscience is bad in that sense because you're not fulfilling or lining yourself up according to the standard, the will of God. So you may have 
faith, quote unquote, because you're holding fast to the idea that Christ came into the world to save sinners, but you're not submitting yourself to the will of God, so therefore you don't have a good conscience about the life that you're living in the faith. See, faith is not, I believe. Because here's the truth. James says it this way. He says, the devils believe. And they have one up on us because the devils actually believe and they tremble. They have the belief in God and they have the fear of God. But they're still not going to make it into heaven. They're still not going to spend an eternity in glory because they do not submit themselves to the law, the will, and the rule of God. They do their own thing. So even if we say that we believe, that belief is not enough if it's not backed by the conversion and the lifestyle that follows suit with our belief. Does that make sense? We're trying to say that faith must produce a work. That's also in James because James says that faith without works is dead. So the way that you measure whether or not you have a good conscience in the faith is whether or not that faith that you say that you have produces a work in you that matches that faith that you say that you have. If we're going to say that we believe, then our life must reflect that belief. Remember the Emmaus series, we said you'll know a tree by its fruit. A wicked tree doesn't bear good fruit and a good tree doesn't bear wicked fruit. That's not saying you won't mess up. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. What it is saying is that the fruit that you bear 98, 99% of the time is going to be fruit that pictures and resembles and reflects a lifestyle seeking after God. That your continual pursuit of God is going to bear fruit in your life that shows that you have a continual pursuit of God. It's both. It's faith and a good conscience. It's not faith and it's not a good conscience because works can't do it for you. It requires both. And so I would tell you that by rejecting that, you would make your faith a shipwreck. By rejecting one or the other, because it's a two-sided coin, faith is one side, works is the other. You're not justified by your works, you're justified by faith alone. However, faith is not faith if it does not have the production of works in your life. It requires both. Your works can't justify you outside of Jesus. Only Jesus can save you. However, if Jesus saves you, then He creates in you a new heart. You become a new creature. Old things are passed away, so your desires will be different. Your actions will be different. The fruit that you bear in your life will be different. So therefore, you will not be the same person you were before you became a Christian. Otherwise, you may not have become a Christian. You may have accepted an idea and you may believe in a being, a God, but if your fruit, if your life does not reflect that change, then you may not be a Christian. You may be Christian in name only. And that's the problem with 90%, and I'm going to back it up a little bit because I would say 99%, but that would make me seem harsh. 90% of people that claim Christianity, especially in America, where we have everything handed to us, where we have cush lifestyles, and I know not everybody here has a cush lifestyle. You guys have been through some stuff. Katrina, all of those things, you guys have been through some tragedies, so I don't want to downplay that because I haven't been through a hurricane that took everything that I had. But I know some of you have. But the thing is, is your life right now is not as bad as it could be. Marty and I, before service, he was talking to me about someone that had taken their kids to the poorest country in the world to show them what they had available to them. You're not in a third world country. What we call poverty here in America might be considered upper class in some of the countries around the world. 
there's an area, and I forget exactly where it's at, but I was watching an apologist and he was talking about this missions movement they have in this area. The entire city is a dump. It's swampy, and that's where they pour trash out. And people are living in trash, digging through trash to eat. And you see kids, and their bellies are gorged out because they have, haven't ate for days. The water is poisoned, so they can't drink the water that's all over the ground. They have to run it through a system, and most of them don't have access to that system. It's so bad that he testified, and he said, if you were to take a cup of clean water and give it to some of these children, and they tried to drink it, they would choke because their throats are not used to having that much water available to them. It would actually gag them. And the problem with American Christianity is we've become like that with the Word of God. We have so, here's my word, pansified the standard of the Word of God that when we truly receive the fullness of the Gospel, we choke on it. Because our throats are not used to the fullness of the gospel. We receive these cush messages that we've coated with sugar and we've streamlined it and pumped it through, had a pastor pump it through our arms like an IV system that we can't handle it. We can't handle what this series is about to lead us into. It's so bad that I don't even want to preach this series. But yet we have to have it. Because here's the problem. James, and I've referenced him a couple times, he also says this. He says, be not many teachers. King James says, be not many masters. Knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment or the greater condemnation. And the reason for that is, is that if I exclude anything in this Word, regardless of whether I like it or I hate it, if I don't portray the Word of God exactly as it is, I'm stacking condemnation up against myself. I'm stacking judgment up against myself. I have to preach the Word exactly as it is. One of my favorite quotes, and I use this in evangelism a couple weeks ago. I was talking to a man who completely believed in God but completely rejected the idea of any man-made religion. And we went in back and forth with apologetics and he was talking about all his beliefs and everything. And finally our conversation got to this point. I just looked him in the face and said, okay, let's just stop for a second. Let's put books aside. and said, you're saying that your belief about what God is is the highest authority. Your belief in your research is the highest authority. I said, so the problem with that is, is you say you know that there's a God. And if your belief in your research is the highest authority, the highest level, then what you're saying is that if there is this supreme being that has infinite knowledge and infinite power, that he could not possibly disagree with you on any one subject. So essentially what you've done is you've made yourself a God. The difference between that and where I stand is I take this book right here and I say this is my God. The God of this Word is who I submit to. I didn't design Him. I didn't do my research and say this is what I think God's like. This book is the standard. He breathed it. He gave it to me. And now I have to hold this book as my standard. It doesn't change. It never flinches. It never wavers. And if I find something in this book that I hate... I have to realize that this is truth and I'm not. And I have to change my opinions to match the book. I have to preach what God says. It's like this. One of my favorite men of God, Charles Spurgeon, he said, if you find a verse in the Bible that you hate, you take that verse 
and you make that your life's motto until it, you master it or it masters you. Because that verse, and this is my wife's interpretation of that quote, that verse is probably the verse that you need most. What I'm saying is if I had a messenger, if I was in Africa doing missions work and faith was here, and I didn't have access to a pen and paper, and I seen some guy who was about to get on a plane to come back to the States and said, hey, would you deliver this message to my wife? And I said, tell her that I love her, that I'll be home in a month, just a couple little points. And then that messenger got on the plane and walked, knocked on my wife's door and said, hey, Aaron said, and then he said everything that he thought about what I said, but he didn't actually say what I said. He said, well, I think that he said that he had some kind of affection for you, that he'd be home sometime, but I don't know. Uh, he said a month, but that's probably not the case. He'll probably be home in like two months. And, and he just completely changed everything that I said to fit it with what he thought would sound better. He would be a terrible messenger. And so if I take this word and I twist it and I morph it and I change it or I funnel it through my interpretation of what sounds good or what it should say, I'm an awful messenger and I should never stand behind this pulpit again. But if I take the message that God's put forth in His Word and I deliver it exactly like it is, then I'm a messenger that does not have this pile of condemnation next to me. I don't have the ability to go in front of this Word and say it says this, but it really means this. No, I have to say it says this and that's what it means. When it says pray for your enemies, don't trash talk them. Don't trash talk them is in parentheses because I added that. It says, pray for your enemies, love those that hate you, do good to those that despitefully use you. If I say, you know what, say a quick prayer for your enemies, say like God bless them, and then over here to the next ten people you come across, trash talk them. I'm not saying what the Word of God says. I'm saying what it says, but then I'm adding a suggestion of what might make you comfortable. And that's not what we're going to do in this series. This series is going to be painful. And it is. And I'm going to warn you in advance. It's going to say some things. And hopefully it doesn't rub you the wrong way because hopefully you're meeting all of these things that equal up to a good conscience. But maybe not. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to press a little bit further here. Again, this is just an overview of the series. Each message is going to be about a specific thing right now. We're just laying the groundwork. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 3. And you guys, this should sound familiar. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. This is the parable of the sower. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. That's number one. King James says some seeds fell to the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. That's the second type. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, we're going we're gonna to skip down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands that he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So there's four types. There's the type of seed, the seed's the word of God. There's the type of seed that falls on the wayside or on the road birds come and steal it. There's a type that falls on rocky ground, no depth of soil, roots go down just a little bit and it springs up, but because there's no depth of root, the sun burns the roots, burns the plant, it's scorched and they dry up and they wither away. And the third type is the seed that's thrown among thorns. The thorns grow up, they prevent the sunlight and they choke out so it can't receive the moisture. That type dies. And then the final is the good crown. See, your heart is the ground. That's what we talked about even when we were praying for this message. Your heart is the ground, so I don't want you to be concerned with the plant because the plant will take care of itself because the plant is a product of the seed of the Word of God. So I assure you that the plant will be good because the seed is good as long as you take care of the part that is you and is your responsibility, the ground, the soil. That's your responsibility. And so for through this series, I want you to look at two things, and I'm going to run these in kind of a parallel to lay the foundation of the series. There are four main causes of a shipwreck. And I know that's like plants, shipwreck, two opposite worlds, but I promise they'll tie together. There are four main causes of a shipwreck. I looked this up on Google, so it has to be right. <laughs> so, what's that? Wikipedia? No, because that can change. It was a history channel and some other inputs. Um, the four main causes of a shipwreck. The first one is failure either by design equipment or operator failure. I know that's three things, but this is gonna be stewardship. And each one of these words ends in ship, so it's easy to remember. Don't be a shipwreck. Each one of the points is gonna end in ship, so it's ship, shipwreck. Anyway, I thought that was clever. This is stewardship. This is the seed that's sown on the road or on the wayside. It never gets invested in the ground. It's thrown but the person's never invested. And this is going to when we're talk about some ugly things. This is going to be next Sunday because we're going to get it out of the way. This is when we're going to talk about your time, your talents, and your treasure, your contacts, your calendar, and your checkbook. This is when we're going to talk about how much of you is actually invested. And no, I'm not trying to steal your money. I'm not going to preach a message saying you tithe this much or you pay this much and you're going to get this miracle and show you a car wash menu like they do on TV, TBN, and stuff like that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you what the Bible says and you're going to apply that to your life and you're going to look and see if your life mirrors that and you're going to take that between you and God and I'm not going to bring it up again unless God tells me to because that's between you and God. And my opinion on that, especially in terms of money, and I hate preaching about money because I know how it rubs people the wrong way and how it makes me seem sometimes, but the fact of the matter is, is the Word of God has a lot to say about money and how you handle your money. And so I want you to see what the Word says and then if you have a problem, you take it up with God and you take it up with the Word and I don't pay attention to who gives what, who ties what, who sows what. I don't pay attention to that because I don't want to know. Because I want to treat every individual the exact same. I don't want to look at who ties this much and, and pit them against who ties this much. That way if there's a dispute, I don't say, well, this person gives 
10, 20% of the church's overall income and this person gives nothing and say, okay, well, I have to take their side. No, I want to look at the situation and I want to say, okay, well, this is the side that's right. And this is the side that's wrong, regardless of the money attachment. Because I have watched pastors and they have looked at a situation and they said, I know that this person is right, but they give 10% of a single income household and this person owns five businesses and they give 20% of all that to the church. So I can't offend them because of the amount of money the church would lose. The church itself might fail. No, my opinion is, is if this is the work of God, then He's going to fund it and He's going to come through regardless of what I do or what I say. If it's His work, He's going to accomplish it. I'm just going to preach the truth, show you the Word, not change the message, not make it comfortable, and then you're going to have to deal with that between you and God, and I'm going to keep my nose out of it. Understand? But this is the first type of seed. It's the seed that's sown on the road. And it's not just about money. It's about your time. It's about your talents, the gifts that God has given you. It's about your treasures. Yeah, it's about several different things. I forgot the list. I'll, we'll worry about that next. It's about stewardship. What do you do with what God has given you? The people that you associate with. That was the other one, your contacts. The gifts, the time, the talents, the treasures. What do you do with what God has entrusted to you? How faithful of a steward are you? How invested, not to this church, but to the body of Christ, are you? And that's going to be between you and God. That's the first type of seed. That's the first type of shipwreck. The second type of shipwreck is a navigational error. There's two sides to this. Longitude and latitude. Latitude. Longitude and latitude. Horizontal and vertical. This is relationship. Our relationship with one another, which is our fellowship, and our relationship with God, which is His Lordship. The second type is a continuate. That's the seed without root or attachment. You don't have root or attachment to God truly, and you don't have much root or attachment to the body of Christ. The second type is a continuation of that, and it's gonna when a ship runs aground at night. And they invented these awesome structures that stand. You have some of them because you're on the coast. They stand. They're real tall and real beautiful. Thomas Kincaid paints some great pictures of it. has a light in the top of it and it spins around so that ships can see it in the dark. Lighthouse. The exception to this, and it plays off of God's lordship, is worship. Even when the situation's dark, how does our worship stand? And the reason that I separated that into its own category is because there's a lot to say about worship. We're doing good in some areas and we've got some room for opportunity in others. So that's going to be worship. And the last one is circumstance. This is weather, hurricane hitting, a ship out at sea, an onboard fire, a foreign ship, a tax set, a mutiny on board. The list goes on and on. This is just an unforeseen circumstance that occurs. An iceberg sitting in the middle of water because the Titanic got its direction a little bit off. Anyway, this is the seed among thorns. The circumstance of the thorns choked it out. And this is discipleship. Discipleship takes you and matures you as a Christian. We had that series on Christian maturity. It takes you from an infant Christian to a mature Christian. And that's how you weather the internal and the external circumstances. The internal and the external struggles that you will face is by becoming a mature Christian, becoming mature in Christ. 
And that's going to be, so there's four messages after this one. Stewardship, relationship, worship, and discipleship. Easy to remember. And I'll do a handout so that you guys have them and you can reference them in your own study time. And they're going to be some tough messages. But we have to get this. We have to get this. Two of the most major shipwrecks in all of history. What's the, what's the most memorable and noteworthy shipwreck that's ever occurred? Does anybody know? The RMS Titanic. The Royal Mailing Ship Titanic. Faith and I went to the museum in Pigeon Fords about the Titanic. I think you guys went too, didn't you? Did you guys go to the Titanic? No? It's actually it's pretty awesome. Like growing their own iceberg inside stuff. It's cool. <laughs> There's a room. You're going through the museum and you see all the, the decorations and they have a lot of artifacts. The museum was actually funded by the guy. You guys remember that movie Titanic? Um, the guy that actually sponsored the submarine that went down that they portrayed in the movie, he actually is the person that funded the museum in Pigeon Forge. And so they have like all of the stuff that he's pulled up, like the silverware and the chairs and some of the clothes and even some of the menus that they ordered off of. Some books and he actually, uh, at the end of the movie there's a band and they're playing a song. That's actually a true story. The guy, the band, they knew that they couldn't get out. So they just got up on stage and they just started playing. And they played music all the way until they sunk and they drowned. Um, and the fiddle that the guy was playing in the movie, he actually has it in the museum and, and it's, it's actually really cool. But the point that I want to make is the last room that you go through, see when you go into the museum, Asher was two weeks old when we went. We go into the museum and when you enter in, they have a guy and they give you a card. And depending on if you're a man or a woman or a child, they'll give you a card for each one of those classes of a, a person that was actually on the Titanic. And so they gave Asher one, Sir Thomas, I can't think of what the last name was, and I had one and Faith had one. And so all the way through you're finding like where your person was at, what they were doing, but it never tells you if your person lives or dies. And so I remember Faith going through this whole museum and she's like panic stricken, like, I can't, they cannot have given me a card for a guy, kid that dies for my son. So she's like panicking, like we need to find out if this little kid lived because it was a little two month old baby, the youngest baby on the Titanic. And it was third class and she was distraught. Like they gave me the name of a person that died and I, now my son has this card. Like what are they trying to, it was, but the whole time she brought it up like 10 different times throughout the museum. But the last room you go into, and it really puts things in perspective, you go into this room and they have these huge plaques on the wall. I think it's like a 20-foot ceiling. And they have these huge plaques running from the floor to the ceiling. And it's name after name after name after name after name after name after name. And it's all the people that died. 1,500-plus people died on the Titanic. Over 1,500 people. And then they have the small section of the people that actually got off. And luckily the boy, Sir Thomas, he was one of the children from third class that actually survived and face character survived. My guy was a postman and he decided to try to go save the mail and drown. So, <laughs> but God bless him, royal mailing ship. He was trying to do his job, but he drowned because he was trying to save letters and postcards and that kind of thing. But I just, it's just awe inspiring because you see this wall and these, all these names and it's all these people that died. That's not just 1,500 lives lost. 
That's 1,500 families destroyed. That's 1,500 sets of friends devastated. That's 1,500 businesses that suffered. That's 1,500 lives, lights that were put out. And so the thing that I want you to consider, and even looking at the next biggest one was uh, USS Arizona that was sunk at Pearl Harbor, and there was over almost 1,200 people lost their lives there. Think about this. How many people's lives does your faith affect? How many people's lives are tied to your faith? Because really, it should be quite a few. I mean, if we're out and we're sowing seed and we're watering seed and we're living a Christian lifestyle, if we make our faith a shipwreck, then people who knew us as a Christian, even if our lifestyle changes, and even if we start openly professing that we're not a Christian, we still have that attachment. So how many lives and potential Christians could we destroy by our faith becoming a shipwreck? They have it all the time. And as sad as it is, almost every once a month or a couple times a month, they'll have some big name singer that was a Christian singer or that was a Christian writer, and they renounce the faith. They've had a couple recently. One of the guys from Hillstone song renounced his faith, and then he came back and he said, well, I didn't really renounce it. I'm just struggling. And then that guy that wrote the book on Christian marriage and Christian dating, he renounced his faith. And all the lives that it's destroying by them renouncing their faith and then publicizing that they renounced their faith. How many people's faith has that been a detriment to? So what I want you to understand as we go through this series, yeah, these are going to be some tough topics. There are requirements of Christianity. There are some standards of Christianity. And we have to live our life accordingly. It's not a beat them up drag them out series. I don't even want to preach it. That's why I made sure I told you. I don't even want to preach this, but I have to. Or I'm not a faithful pastor. If I can't preach the hard truths, then I don't have the pleasure and I shouldn't have the honor of preaching the good truths. Make sense? Because they're all good truths, whether they're hard or easy. If I can't do what's hard, I shouldn't be able to do what's easy. And I'm unfit for this pulpit. So hopefully, if nothing else, as mad as you get about some of the things I might say, hopefully you're at least encouraged that I'm going to tell you the truth regardless of how it makes me feel. Amen? All right. Again, the purpose is to make sure that you're a strong Christian. We want some strong Christians. Amen? We want to be strong in our faith. So here's what I want to do. I'm not going to be long. But if you need prayer, if you already know, first of all, if you already know, if right now there's something ringing in your mind, God, I don't do that, and I know it's in there to do it, then let's just pray. I'm not going to make you bow your head and close your eyes. I do that occasionally just for privacy's sake, but this is the time for boldness where we can own it. There's been some things... Yeah, you can go ahead. There's, there's been some things that I've done in my own life out of ignorance, sometimes out of stubbornness, especially as an early Christian, sometimes out of spite. For example, and I don't care to admit this, when we first got saved, Faith and I weren't married. Uh, I was working two jobs at the time. I was going to a church, and I knew the church was a wealthy church. And the way that I treated my money was not godly. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And I did it out of spite because I seen all the wealthy people that went there. And so I made it my relationship and my stewardship to God about everybody else and not about me. 
And needless to say, I had to change that. So all I want to say to you guys is, regardless of how difficult it is, really do some soul searching and find what God is actually saying to you. Not according to opinion, not according to the heart, because heart can be deceitful, but according to the Word of God, according to the standard that doesn't change. The thing I love about the Bible, and the thing I love that there's so many of them, is because if I read something in my Bible, I can go pick one up back there and read it in another translation or in another Bible just to remind myself, hey, this is a standard that doesn't change. It's a standard that's a standard across the board. I don't have my own individual translation here that nobody else has access to. It's all the same. They may change the interpretation of the wording a little bit, but it's the same standard in every translation. So right now, she's going to put on some music. And what I want to do is I want to be honest. If there's something in your life that you already know that you're not doing, that God's Word instructs you to do, let's stand up and let's admit it. And I'm not saying you have to go from zero to 60. I'm saying let's put a plan in place in your own life to get from where you're at to where you should be. Does that make sense? Last thing, and I just have to say this stuff, and mine's about money. And, that's, and it's not because I'm beating you up about your money. Mine's about money because that was a struggle that I had over and over again. Faith and I, when we, ha- we took a leap of faith, we were working two jobs, very successful jobs, and we had a lifestyle that was dependent upon those two jobs. She got pregnant with Asher. We knew that we knew that we knew God was saying, she needs to stay home with your son. Okay. What are we going to do? Because my income alone is not enough. What are we going to do? We took a leap of faith. She quit her job to stay home with Asher. There's a lot more to that story. I went from one job to another job where I was working 12-hour days, an hour drive there and an hour drive back, six days a week, sometimes seven. 14-hour days. Every day. Still not making it. We stopped tithing. And we'll get to talk about tithing later. But we stopped tithing. This is a personal testimony. I knew that we couldn't afford to tithe. So what I said, God, I cannot go from 0 to 10% overnight. So what we did was I said, Faith, for the month of January, we're going to tithe 1%. For the month of February, we're going to tithe 2%. For the month of March, we're going to tithe 3%. For the month of April, we're going to tithe 4%. And I went all the way up until I got to the point where I knew I was supposed to be, plus offerings on the side, And let me tell you, there were times where we looked at our cabinets and our cabinets were empty and we looked at our rent coming up or our house payment and we didn't have money in the bank for it. But every single time, and I've told these testimonies before, every single time God met our need. Every single time. I had time where people knocked on my door with a bag of groceries in their hand and a $200 in a cash envelope, which was enough money to pay our house payment. Our house payment wasn't $200, but met with the money that we had. It was enough. We were $200 short. It put us at $10 left over in our bank account and bags of groceries so that we didn't have to eat. And we didn't even have to make a trip to the grocery store, praise God. What I'm telling you is, you trust God, God comes through. And it's not just about money. You trust God with your time, God comes through. You trust God with your health, God comes through. You trust God with your finances, God comes through. You trust God with your talent, your time, your treasures. And here's another thing. If you trust God with your relationships with other people, even the ones that you need to adjust, God comes through every time across the board. No matter what it is, God comes through. We're going to be an obedient church. And to back that, and to put 
money where mouth is, and I know I'm harping on money, the church is going to start in January. And we're going to start giving 10% to the Great Commission Fund, whether we have it or whether we don't. Every ounce of income, every dime, the Great Commission Fund is the fund that pays for people like Carlos, that supports them, plays for the foreign missionaries in other countries that are risking their life. That's where their money comes from, their support comes from, from the Great Commission Fund. And this church is going to be a church that gives. Whether we run our bank accounts empty, we're going to be a church that gives. Because if we cannot be a church that supports foreign missionaries, that impacts the community, and all we do is come and preach a message, whether you like it or not, sometimes you guys do because you tell me, sometimes you might, guys might not because I don't hear as much, but that's okay. You don't have to start telling me you love the way I preach. I'm just saying, we're, if we can't impact the community, if we can't support foreign missionaries, if we can't do what the Word of God says, then we're a social club and we don't need to be here anyway. Give the space to somebody who will do with it what they're supposed to do. And I know that's tough. Anyway, so I'm going to stand in place of the church that the church gets back to giving 10% of its income to Great Commission Fund. On faith. Because right now we don't have it. On faith. And so showing you what the church is going to do I want you to step forward in faith if you know right now. If not, there will be this opportunity every week. And I want you to step forward in faith and say, I'm not meeting something that I know God will. Right now, it's just a general call. We'll have specific calls later. Amen? So we're going to take just a minute. Music playing. Search your heart. Amen?